Good morning. I'm glad that uh, the opportunity to come this morning to share God's word with all of us. Um, let, me, let me begin with a word of prayer as we calm our hearts as we listen to his spirit this morning. Uh, Father God, we give you praise and thanks. Um, Lord, we pray, Lord, that as the songs that we sang this morning, let it be pleasing to you. Um, as we gather here this morning, as we listen to your word, Lord, may it be from you, not from me. We ask that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that as we listen, as we look into this passage of scripture, we can see that this is probably one of the challenges or difficulties of this passage that can be difficult for us to understand. But we know that you do, Lord, and so, Lord, may you reveal that to us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that stand out about children is that they're always in the moment. They're, they're always, you know, when something happens, they're always, oh, man, my bottle dropped, and it's the end of the world, right? It's hard to get past that moment. They get stuck. After all, life hasn't really developed enough sense yet about the, the fulfillment of what life is going to be. And as kids, they, they struggle with that. But we came to realize that as we get older, we began to understand that the drive is connected to the destination or the outcome that there's more to live for in life. I would say that we only begin to understand this because we can still get stuck in seeing what's happening in our current situation. But if we develop this perspective more and more in our lifetime, you know, it tells us that if someone could transcend or someone that is bigger than us can rise above all of time, we can discover this ultimate power of how to live right now. And this is what Jesus carried for us. And this morning, we hear him tell us about how we can now enjoy the same ability to connect what we might face in the present and to face this eternal reality that exists in each and every one of us. In John chapter 16, uh, verse 16, we see this. It says, in a little while, you will see me no more. This is what Jesus says. And then after a little while, you will see me. You know, these words came at a point in which it's hard to imagine what his followers were going through. Jesus has been telling them what he must face because they haven't wanted to hear it. It's like a news that you, wanna, you don't want to hear, the bad news. They have been living in denial. And now it's kind of piercing them about this potential facing fear and despair. You know, when it comes to the reality of suffering, of hardships, most of us live between denial and despair. And there are problems we don't want to face head on. We're afraid, we, we get anxious, we get worried. It's like, I don't want to face this. You know, aspects of our lives that are so painful that we want to avoid. We want to hide because we fear that we will face despair, grief, 
So we live between these two forces, despair and denial. And that's what Jesus speaks to us. He, he transcends. He's bigger. He's, he's greater than we are. He's greater than what we experience, denial and despair. You know, Jesus took upon himself that. He died for us. He suffered so greatly. I want us to notice that Jesus does not say he doesn't allow for denial. He says, you will have trouble. We will go through suffering, challenges, heartaches, pain. If you have ever thought that knowing Jesus meant never facing problems, never feeling pain, let that false idea go. Let it go. Jesus was a man. He was aware of sorrow. He was aware of suffering. He was aware of grief. Jesus was about to endure pain beyond anything we can ever imagine. Life in our world will include trouble, problems, pain, suffering that are very real. No, Jesus makes one thing very clear. He says, spiritual maturity is not a matter of escaping the problem and pain that life in this world will include, but it's true that become more and more mature if we manage life, we can avoid some of these unnecessary hardships. We can avoid this. Life has pain and suffering. We can try to avoid it. We can try to medicate it. Um, we, we can try to separate ourselves from reality. We have a lot of culturally popular forms that we go through. We also have even religious forms that we try to do to kind of, you know, make us feel good. But just as he calls us out of this denial, it also, he calls us out of this despair, this grief. Despair is what we try to avoid with denial. Despair is simply what happens when suffering seems to claim the last word of your life, when there's nothing more. And that finality is exactly what Jesus is declaring an end to. Jesus is declaring to them, he's declaring to us, there's, there's more. In, first, in John chapter 16, verse 20, Jesus speaks, he says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy. You know, at this moment, they're walking to the garden. Jesus is speaking of what was actually going to happen. Judas was about to betray Jesus. He was about to get arrested by the religious leaders. But then they will see him again. They will see Jesus again. He'll be raised up to life. 
So their grieving will be part of a process that ultimately leads to joy. Joy. Grief is part of that natural process, but it does not define what is happening at that very moment. And that's what Jesus is saying. He explains this relationship between pain, suffering, and joy by referring to this childbirth analogy. When I was, many years ago, I I had to go to the ER. And it was during flu season. And the doctor said, "Um, what are your symptoms? My symptoms was high fever and migraine headaches. And he said, do you have meningitis? And as you know, meningitis is not something good that happens to you in the brain. If you have it, then it's, you're pretty much not gonna be well for a long time. So what they, in order to, for them to know for certain, they had to do a test on me. They took a spinal tap of my spine to take brain fluid. The nurse came into the, the ER room and said, you know, you can say to your friends that what they're about to do to you is a glimpse of what childbirth feels like, the pain, for a brief five seconds. So what they had to do was do an epidural. They, I don't know if some mothers might have gone through that. It's, it's a very large needle they stick into your spine to kind of help alleviate the pain. So they did that to me. I was holding onto the bench like this <laughs> with my, my back. And they stuck the needle inside, and I was like, oh. But then came the, the painful part where they stuck the other needle to extract the spinal fluid uh, from my spine. And that, that hurt a lot. I never felt such pain in my life. But after that, the doctor's like, they gave me extra medicine to make me feel happy and nice. And then it was good. It was good. It was all done. You know, I give kudos to the moms who give birth to your children for what you guys have to go through. Uh, Us guys, we don't quite understand that. But here, we see here, uh, there's childbirth. Jesus, he's using this metaphor to capture this very nature of joy and that is now to be theirs to have in life. Jesus says it's like a woman in labor and then it's so with you. Inner joy is is transcendent. It comes from God. It's, It's someone greater, someone bigger than us. It brings to bear what is happening right now. You know, the birth of a new eternal life with God. You know, he doesn't say that pain and suffering is over. It says she forgets it. Okay, she forgets it. But it's only in the way we naturally would understand this phrase. It's not a, a, a literal forgetting. Okay, it's more like, it's similar to what scripture says about God forgetting our sin. Okay, it means that we no longer carry the same consequence. It's that kind of forgetting. Again, Jesus isn't suggesting that the pain created in childbirth is immediately gone. 
where we don't have sorrow or suffering or pain or, or, or trouble. You know, Jesus, he brings that joy. Jesus brings that joy that stays in touch with that sorrow, with that suffering, with that pain, with those circumstances that we go through. It stays in touch with the truth that surpasses the sorrow. And this is the power of peace that goes beyond understanding, beyond circumstances that we go through, suffering that gives us inner inner peace together. When I was a child, my mom was diagnosed with arthritis. This is a little selfish of me, but at that age, I was not necessarily worried about my mom. I was worried about the food that was going to be on the table. Um, Seeing her in pain as she walked up the stairs, as she was cooking food for us, made me wonder why she had to go through such suffering. But my mom always encouraged me and said, hey, you know, you pray to God. You pray for God for healing. You pray for God for peace and joy. You pray for God for all these things. I didn't quite understand it at that age. You know, you're kind of young and you're just kind of like, whatever. But as days and months passed, I started to realize I didn't like to see what my mom was going through. I wanted God to heal her. My mom was a person who would wake up at 5 o'clock or 5.30 in the morning to pray every single day. And I still remember just her prayers, usually praying, encouraging me to pray for her. And I did pray for her. So after six, seven months, um, she woke up one morning and she walked down the stairs with no pain. No pain in her hands or her knees or her joints. She went to the doctor and the doctor couldn't explain what just happened besides to say it was a miracle. From that time, she told me, you know, she experienced that peace in the pain of her suffering. I don't know if she knew that she was going to be healed, but she had this kind of peace that kind of makes you think there's something going on. God is doing something. And that's what happened. You know, it's important to understand that he is not referring to joy in a way we might tend to use the word. You know, we tend to refer joy as an outward expression of something. You know, some outward expression but he's referring to something that comes from within our hearts. It comes within here. Something that goes beyond our suffering, our pain. This spiritual joy is what is different from what it actually means by happiness. I think we get this confused, these two words, joy and happiness. Happiness is based on what is happening around us. But inner joy comes from what we know and affirmed within us. Joy goes beyond both happiness and sadness. Happiness is born within our minds. Joy is within our hearts. Happiness comes from us as human beings, but joy comes from God. It comes from God. This divine joy comes from what already exists, but hasn't been fully experienced, 
Have we fully experienced joy? Probably. It is a life that we already have but will not fully realize in this condition that we live in when we go through suffering, pain, but it already exists. So it's not just a matter that things will change, but it's this new reality that already is. Paul puts it this way. The Apostle Paul, he says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4, he says, In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. He says, In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. This childbearing metaphor, it helps us to see this profoundness of how this joy is about this new life. God's new world was being born into this, these events that we go through. He's not just setting these examples, but establishing this new reality. When he was raised into this new life, he is the beginning of this new world that we live in, which God is birthing. It is what Jesus drew upon as he faced the suffering on the cross for us. You know, inner joy should give us inner strength. And as our new life in this world empowers us to endure what is temporary, we know this life is temporary. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For who for the joy is set before him to endure the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition to sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Lose heart. You know, that is the joy that he has been telling them and telling us to experience. His joy was his place in this world. We celebrate that every year at Christmas, the joy, the gift of joy. It's Jesus Christ. His joy was his place in this world, the joy he now shares and provides for each and every one of us. You know, it's our place in this world which has been birthed afresh in this created world. If you look in our passage this morning in John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, take heart. It says, take heart. It doesn't say lose heart. It says, take heart. It's the opposite of losing heart. It empowers us. It gives us strength. Inner joy is always here. And as we discover and develop this relationship we have with God, when you see, you will have joy. It's not always immediate joy, you know, you're just like, oh yeah, it's immediate, but it's, it's going to happen. One day, we'll see that, if not already. Because to know Christ is to have joy. Did you know that joy is one of the main attributes of God? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Did you know that joy exists? Ask yourself, do you know that joy exists? We naturally come to wonder, then why don't I have more joy? Why am I not smiling? What's wrong with me? 
At a young age, I was diagnosed with a mental illness, depression and anxiety. And I didn't know what it was until I realized it was contributed by my trauma when I was four years old from abuse. And that affected me so much and I didn't understand why God put me through such an ordeal. Um, my friends would ask me, why are you not smiling? Why are you not happy? Why are you not cheerful? And I said, I truly don't know why. I don't know why. I accepted Christ when I was 12 years old. Of course, I was happy to receive Christ in my life, but I wasn't super joyful. I didn't know why, I understand, until the psychiatrist diagnosed me with severe depression and anxiety. And I still have it to this day. Through medication, through counseling, why does this have to happen? And in a world where we talk about mental illness as something that is, you know, you shouldn't talk about in church, if I were to share this at some churches, I'd probably get fired. But you know, I am human, and it's because of God's grace is sufficient for me, I'm able to stand and speak to you this morning. You know, just recently in the couple of years, I realized it's probably because of COVID. The joy takes time to develop. You can't really force it. You can't force to be happy. You can't be forced to be joyful. You know, I'm going to have joy this week, but you need to develop it. You didn't develop your relationship with your parents or anyone else in a day. You know, it takes love. It takes cultivation you know, to be able to relate and to care. It took me a long, many years to figure out why I have to go through this depression, anxiety. Me standing here, making me very anxious. But I know, like I said, it's because of God. I believe Jesus' words are here speaking truth in our lives. Focus on this inner joy, this life within us, more than happiness. The truth is that most of us, you know, we are being drawn to give attention to its circumstantial pleasure. Whether we, whether we have to like wear, or eat, or do, you know, none of these are something that is wrong. But the issue is that all is outside that's coming in, okay? He bears life from inside going out. And that's what we, I appreciate of Jesus as he transforms us. It comes from the inside and it flows out. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, when you fast... Your heavenly Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice Jesus says, when, not if, but when you fast. For Jesus, the, the place of fasting was assumed. So in this portion of Jesus' sermon, it says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, for they are equally natural parts of one developing life with God. 
we find another after his resurrection, his disciples, his followers did fast. We can see that. The apostle Paul, he said this, he fasted often. And throughout even the early church, fasting is a, a dynamic part of their spiritual life. But one thing noting in this passage, he says, your father will reward you. You know, Jesus would have understand that spiritual fast can be a spiritual feast. You know, when we have potlucks and buffets, I don't think they have buffets anymore. But, you know, this is a spiritual fast, a feast. There's no getting around the fact that fasting is a discipline. And I don't know if you guys have ever fasted before, but it's a discipline. And with all disciplines, we initially see the cost before we can appreciate the reward. What does it have for me? But in fact, every day we are living out of the reward of a discipline that we do. You know, sleeping, eating, exercising, learning. Jesus knew our spiritual nature very well. He knew the same value discipline holds true for our spiritual life. You know, fasting provides a way of focusing our inner life with God. You remember when Jesus began his ministry, he was led by the Spirit into the desert and he was tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would be hangry. I would be so hungry. I can't imagine what Jesus, 40 days. I can't last 40 or four hours. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And you know what Jesus said? He says, it is written, man should not live on bread alone, but on every single word that comes from the mouth of God. Dallas Willard, uh, in his books, he says, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding him a source of sustenance beyond food. Fasting is a means of freedom from the distortions that we are merely physical beings. So in other words, the loss of one of our senses is compensated for by heightening the sensitivity of another. It's kind of like when if you're blind, right? Your sense of hearing, it kind of gets increased. Same thing here. There are some suggestions I want to encourage us as we kind of look at fasting. I know we're in a tangent here, but this is some things that have helped me. You know, choose, choose a form of prayer or fasting that you feel personally prepared for. Okay, this may range from setting aside a single activity that you do or maybe a particular food or a meal each day. For me, it's, it's chocolate. I enjoy chocolate so much, it becomes a meal for me. And I, I need to give it up. And it helps me focus, even though I have those cravings. You know, prepare and fast in terms of adjusting your schedule as needed. Look at your schedule throughout the day. Where is a day that you feel you have time for? Early in the morning, like my mom, 5.30? I wouldn't care to wake up that early. You know, find a schedule of time.
Let's move on. In John chapter 16, we see here in verse 23, he says, in, the day, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. He says, I will tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. You know, it's a life that's united with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we see here. Will you commit to making it this season of real searching or re vitalizing your relationship with God. There's three things I want us to consider this morning in our relationship with God, and I challenge all of us here. You know, these things could be kind of self-explanatory, but if you want to take notes, feel free to. You know, a great deal of depression we experience in life is a matter of these unrealized expectations these unsatisfied expectations that we have not accepted as part of our lives. It could be that your expectations for your marriage have not been met yet. Or maybe your kids aren't living like they should. Or maybe your parents, for those who are young, have unrealistic expectations upon you. Perhaps you don't have everything you want. You want a better job. You want to do better in life, have all the good stuff. The issue isn't that we should want our lives to be different, but we have to make life contingent on such changes. Our hearts become so bound by some expectations that hasn't been fulfilled. We put this upon ourselves. And I don't think... God wants that for us. We, we, we can live with ifs and whens. You know, if this happens, I, I can really take my life seriously. If, if I get sick to the point where, you know, I can change my life when it'll be too late. When circumstances change, I will be happy. Listen to how Paul discovers the secret of being content. He says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He says, I know what is it to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, in every situation. This is what Paul says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says he had to, what? Learn. He had to learn how to live with unsatisfied expectations. Here's another one. Unresolved conflict can damper our relationship with God. You know, psychologists have studied what makes people happy, and they concluded that forgiveness is the trait that mostly is linked to happiness. Forgiveness. Right? Conflict brings more than we often want to realize. 
And it can be consuming our hearts. It can distort and clog our hearts. It also becomes a quiet bear between our heart and God's heart. Because we can develop this contempt for one of God's children, our brother and sister in Christ. We can develop this self-righteous pride in the process. And I don't think God desires that in his church. In Hebrews 12, verse um, 14 and 15, it challenges us to not be bitter. It says, make every effort to live in peace with one another, to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that there's no bitter root that caused trouble and defied many. Unresolved conflict. It taints his people, his church, our relationships. Forgiveness, repentance. And here's the third one, which is probably the most difficult one. This third thing that I mentioned here is responsible for probably squeezing more joy out of our lives than anything other. It's unconfessed sin. Guilt can gut your joy faster than anything I, can, I know. Sin can send joy so far away you won't be able to recognize it anymore. David, in Scripture, he understood this very well when he attempted to ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look in Psalm 32. Verses 1, he says, Blessed is he who transgressions are forgiven. This is David saying, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hands was heavy upon me. My strength was zapped in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my my sin. So after Jesus owned his sin, what happened? His joy came back. You can see that? Unconfessed sin zaps your joy. And he says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. And he says, sing. Unconfessing. You know, some of us may be resentful about this very topic of joy. It's like, why are we talking about joy? Well, it's in scripture today, so this is what we're talking about. This is where God has led us to this moment. And the reason why you're here is because he wants you to listen to this. But some of us might be resentful about this because we feel its lack. Where is this joy? I want to encourage us this season to not set out to make yourself joyful, but to set yourself to renew the life within you, your life with God. And the biggest challenge is often we simply, we're so preoccupied with life around us, we have little opportunity for life within us. Let me close off in a word of prayer.